So we're live. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 22nd episode of Diversity with Diana podcast. My name is Diana Sifuna. I'm the founder and host. Today in the studio, I am joined with one young, amazing lady. Her name is Shiko Kihika. Wanjiko Kihika, actually. But most of you know her as Shiko Kihika, as she's a social media guru. She is a marketer by all rights. But let me formally introduce her because maybe you know her as a social media influencer, as a human rights defender, but there's more to her than maybe what she exposes on social media. So Shiko Kihika or Wanjiko Kihika is the founder and executive director of Tribeless Youth, a well-governance and arts advocate. We focus our discussion this year on the Saba Saba, its meaning and our collective duty as watchdogs that ensure that compliance with the constitution is upheld. Let me talk about Tribeless Youth. Tribeless Youth is an initiative that was established with the purpose of promoting peaceful coexistence among the youth in Kenya, devoid of negative ethnicity or tribal lenses. Additionally, I wish to talk about Shiko. And Shiko is an undergraduate public relations student and concurrently pursuing a certificate in gender and public policy at Harvard Kennedy School of Executive Studies. She completed a transformational leadership training by Roxa Luxemburg, Stingfung, and another program on place-based leadership for prevention of urban violence from the University of Sutherland in partnership with the Danish Institute. Her impeccable track record has received recognition. She was the, the first runners-up in the awards, in the Diversity and Inclusion Awards, yay, organized by Daima Trust in partnership with National Cohesion and Integration Commission, that is the NCIC, as well as Integrity Award by Kenya Civil Society Network. She's both a TEDx 2019 and an Acumen Fellow. Thank you so much, Shiko, for joining us today. I'm really, really thrilled and, and just excited to hear what you're going to tell us with your wealth of information, knowledge, exposure, experience, and everything that you've amassed over the time. Karibu sana. Thank you, Diana. I'm happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. Finally, finally we're here. <laughs> I know it's been a long time coming. I've always intended to have you, and I was like, I'm going to wait for that big moment that you know that is so deserving of Shiko coming over but I guess today is a, as good a moment as any um I know we are in a network of of a, you know a group of young leaders and I walk in, I woke up today and I thought wait a minute is today Saba Saba and what is everyone doing so before we go into Saba Saba I just wish for you to properly also introduce yourself and tell us what was your personal inspiration that brought you to to get into the governance space in the first place. We now want to know who Shiko is, and I see that there's one live viewer. So I'm sure many more will be joining in live or others will join us tomorrow morning and we'll see that the viewers will increase. So go on, Shiko, tell us um, about yourself and how you came into this space. Um, so I think you said much about me, but uh, my coming into the activism, basically, the activism space, was back in 2015 when um, I met a group of young people uh, who are discussing issues that are affecting the county government um, or, or rather the Nakuru counties through the Nakuru county government. And I found it interesting that young people have actually a lot of interest on uh, issues, corruption, uh, the budget processes and everything. Weirdly, I was the only woman in the sitting. <laughs> so it, it, it was quite interesting because now, um, funny, by default, I became the organizer. By default, I became the mobilizer. Um, and then I just found myself wanting to know more and more about this country. By then, I was working uh, in a supermarket. I won't mention the name, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was working in a supermarket uh, by that time. So uh, I think that was the first, my first interaction with activists and wanting to know what they're doing and everything. Then I realized that I had a voice that I've never used. I was always that person in the supermarket who complains when people are told to use their back door. And I remember mm -hmm. the first thing I used to tell the manager is that I'm not a lorry, I'm not going back to a floor. Why do I have to use that back door? I can use just any door as long as I get in, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then they say rules are rules and rules ought to be followed. 
no matter how oppressive they are in such setups uh mm-hmm. so that is where i started getting my voice and that is where i actually also uh quit my job to just do activism full time so for me it was not about the money at first it was about the passion of just getting things done uh i was among the team that led the ban of plastic ke in kenya mm-hmm. uh with a group of young men and women uh in a we started in a whatsapp group called street nakuru and we did protests we did petitions in the county assembly it was quite a good uh progress and just seeing that come to pass for us was just an amazing journey right right Yes, awesome. So I just I'm, I'm literally typing in as I go because I don't have any assistance on this podcast. It's, <laughs> it 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 has already evolved from being a solo podcast to being a guest and host podcast. So mm-hmm. just allow me when I'm typing down to also just take record of what you're saying and what thing what are the things that people should remember. Okay. Quitting your job is not an easy thing, especially to get into a space that is not directly linked to how you're going to make your money. Mm-hmm. I just like seriously Shiko you are a young lady you found a passion within you that pulled you towards governance that pulled you towards uh maybe being that voice of the young people being the organizer convener and now I see you actually uh commuting from Nairobi to Nakuru County and back to Nak- you know from Nakuru County to Nairobi and back to Nakuru County you need to be a very you need to be an inspired person for you to actually be doing that it's not easy yeah. and i want to acknowledge you for that and also behind you i see a whole pile of books so i want i want to get to see how you would talk to a younger shiko and tell that younger shiko that by the way you still have a chance to do whatever you want to do in life before we now get into this governance thing that most people sometimes may not understand but later on there's a method to this madness that we start agitating from a very small level from a very small group to later now becoming the people that change laws and policies in the country yes yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, the the most interesting thing is that uh, most people don't know but i got pregnant at 19 so wow. that basically I was still a teenager um and uh, when when going back and revisiting that young self I think the matter would tell them is that the future is too bright for you to just shut off the world and the future mm-hmm. is too bright for you to not see what it holds for you because if you asked me at that point uh what I wanted to be I wouldn't know I was in a very dark space um yes I didn't know if I had a future anyway and then here comes uh 7 years down my son is 7 almost turning 18 uh, oh 8 okay. sorry I'm rushing him <laughs> almost standing 8 yes almost standing 8 and then i look back and i'm like wait a minute see how much or, or rather see how much time this is see how long 7 years can be and see how much change this can bring because the shiko in 2014 is not the shiko right now and right. in 2014 i was a younger lost I didn't know like I think the only thing I was thinking is um I need to just give birth and figure out some job and just right. to work to provide but I did not work because I'm passionate about that. Yes. Um, and I look back and I want and I think this goes to so many young girls trying to who are trying to figure out life do mm-hmm. not pressure yourself do not beat yourself over things that you have no control over. Wake right. up put up your makeup if you do uh mm-hmm. smile and just wait because the sun the, the the sun uh sort of comes out bright every day why don't you right. become that sun to your future just wake mm-hmm. up shine bright and go out there and get what you want awesome awesome thank you yeah i mean i i know your story and i had it from you and i was actually still very inspired by it so when i when i thought about today being saba saba i want I, you know it last year in the podcast i took a chance to do a solo podcast and i spoke to my audience about what saba saba means what the march meant in 1990 fast what it what it has evolved to being right now and i know you are like a guru in this space you have been part of the social justice movement yes you are yeah. <laughs> better on that And so I want to give you a chance to now tell this audience in the in the platform what Saba Saba meant, what it now means and what it's going to mean in the future because we are the people to make the change. Yeah. yeah. Mhm. So um I think 
I, I only say I want to talk to us, the generation of the 90s and 2000s, the people who might not necessarily know what this means because we found it happening. We came in, people are voting in for a constitution. We never voted. We, we, di we didn't necessarily have a voice by then. Some of us right. never even understood what that meant to us as a country. Mm -hmm. But now mm -hmm. we're here, we're living that constitution and we're living that fight that people did put up um, at Kamukunji on mm -hmm. that specific day. We are living right. that struggle that are those men and women, journalists, you know, activists, about 20 of them or so who died during that time. The struggle they put in, the sacrifice they made to even like, uh, sacrifice their own lives so that we can be here as a country. So right, for me, right. Samasaba is the day of liberation. It's the day mm -hmm. where Kenya, and I like comparing it to the story in the Bible where they say that uh, when, when, when guys were praying and seeking Jesus and, and, and yeah. the, cut, the, the curtains tore into two. I'm not quite good in the, with the Bible, <laughs> so but I'm thinking that is the story anyway. Right. Um, this is it for Kenya. This is the this is our story of the cuttings are uh, cutting down into two. It's our, the story of us being able to voice out our stories. It's the same story of us uh, being able to seek for accountability for the monies we pay to the government. It's the story mm -hmm. of us finding a voice and a freedom in our opinion. So for me, this is what Saba Saba reflects. And I yeah. sit down today and I ask myself, as a young person, who benefited from the struggles of these uh, patriots who loved this country so much to sacrifice their lives for it. What yes. am I doing different? What am I doing to make sure that all they fought for does not go to, uh, to waste? Yes. Yeah. And so when I when when I hear what you're saying, I, I, you know, I, I know the Bible, the, the Bible a little bit as well. And the curtain being torn into two was when Jesus was dying on the cross and it is said that now we have a direct access as human beings to have direct communion with God through prayer. So yep. I hear what you're saying and I can, again, picking up from exactly the same analogy you've used. It's like the story of Kenyans gaining the power to choose their leaders in a democratic manner. Yep. And I remember that I actually consulted with you before I chose the topic of this discussion and you chose alternative leadership options in a democracy. So then this is the point which we, we dive right in and say, what do we start with? Do we start the current leadership options? Do we start with the existing democracy? Before then we say, what are the alternative options? Because unfortunately we've been fed with this narrative that um, we vote for somebody, the person who wins becomes the sole leader for the next five years, gets reelected for another five years, that makes it 10 years. And then there's like, no accountability or repercussion or even people didn't even know that you can actually recall back your leaders if they are non-performing so take it away the topic uh, the floor is yours i think we start with where we are as a democracy um and we are democracy on papers things that happen <laughs> in this country that we can never say we are democracy really because mm. and i tell people democracy is relative if you're looking at it from the perspective of the western countries then we are not even a democracy. We are not even halfway being a democracy. Yes. Uh, if we look at it from the perspective of the African setup, then Kenya yeah. is a democracy. Because mm. we at least have a voice. We at least can use our social medias and say what we want. In some True. countries, social media is locked. In mm -hmm. some countries, uh, they, they, they barely even have a voice, you know? Uh, so we're at a point yes. whereby... Uh, the people who fought so much for this democracy are the oppressors right now. So they know the tactics. They know how the civil society world works. Yes. And they know that they can tell what the people think. Yes. Because these are like human rights turned oppressors at the same time. Right. Um, and I'm just thinking, when, when we're talking about the, our current leadership, mm -hmm. by all means, we have a leadership that does not consult the people. We have a leadership that does not value its people. This cannot mm -hmm. be a democratic leadership. Right. A good leader is elected to serve. Mm -hmm. Ours are elected to go steal and command. 
Wow. So those are just like two different ways of looking at leadership in this country. So right. we have, you know, it's it's very weird that we have someone who gives directions, mm-hmm. claiming or purporting to be helping us uh, shelter ourselves from COVID, but at mm-hmm. the same time goes against his own directions and hosts uh, a rally with so many people for whatever right. reason. Decides right. that uh, we have these spots, uh, the safari uh, rallies, and then decides that in Naivasha there's no curfew for four days. Mm-hmm. You all can do what you want. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you come tell us there's a threat of a third uh, wave of COVID. I didn't even know we, we, we hit the second. Where did we hit the second? We've never even gone through phases as a country. How many people have we vaccinated? How many people have we actually tested since COVID first uh, came in? Right. So when you listen to that and then listen to the billions of money they talk about in, in form of loans, uh, in form of grants that, that are given to Kenyans every day, mm-hmm. you ask yourself, where does all this go? Where does this money go? Because as a person, I cannot access any government uh, services at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to hospitals and people are sharing beds uh, and you're like, wait, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but we have people sleeping mm-hmm. like two of them in a bed. If you mm-hmm. have kids, so it will be like four souls in one bed and hospital beds wow. are barely even a three by five, you know, mm-hmm. or three by six. Rather. So um, I just think we, we currently don't have any kind of leadership. We are living in a neo-colonialism kind of era Mm-hmm. Well, we sent away the white man so that we can be colonized by one of our own. So, wow, I think that, that is basically what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a it's a legitimate feeling that you have there, and and I have had problems with this leadership, um, mm-hmm. right from the point when when was it actually when um you know our president one time went on national television and I think he had actually convened a group of, um, how do you call them, a group of journalists. And respectfully, you know, I want to say this with respect, but it was my feeling and it is legitimate. And thankfully, we do have some form of functioning democracy here with the freedom of speech. But I just remember saying, uh, hearing our president say, Munataka nifanye nini. And it was in mind corruption and impunity. And I was like, what do you mean? At what point does this disempower you as a leader not mm. to exercise your authority and take charge of the country that you've been elected to to lead such mm. that your people are running rampant with different scandals after scandals after scandals? I mean, honestly, for me, that was a very weak comment. And to me, I do not know how many other instances that Kenyans will remember as being one of the weakest, weakest in this regime. But for me, that comment, that, that very was, it. Comment was, was the weakest And I think moment. that was the beginning of sort of him showing us how weak he is as a leader. Because recently, just a few, a few months ago, right. again, again, he just like underestimated his seat and, and, and uh, his office by mm-hmm. gathering. And this for me was weird. And I don't know, <laughs> I just like think, some things that really hurt me is seeing someone who's supposed to be a symbol of unity speaking to one community as if they were elected by one community, you know? Yeah. Where he gathered all Kikui radio stations uh, one morning and, and just decided to tell us how his government loses $2 billion every day. So yeah. telling us, are people who are sleeping hungry, a youth who cannot even afford uh, medical services, school fees, uh, food, rent, you know, the basics. You're telling us that your government is losing 2 billion shillings every single day. Yeah. So then what are we supposed to do with that information? You're the president for God's sake. So if you tell me that, what am I supposed to do with that information? Right. So it's it's really sad. I agree with you. I mean, to be honest, um, I saw that trending, and I think social media seems to maybe, and, and you will, you're the expert on social media to tell us how this information is being disseminated and it's mm-hmm. being passed on to us, but it is it is being washed down like a very shallow or simple thing. Losing yep. 2 billion shillings daily, and it, it, it's something that should actually, in the past, it would have agitated so many people and would have been on the streets 
But what we ended up doing is making a mockery out of it, making it seem like it's such a light thing that mm -hmm. I'm beginning to wonder. But remember, we want to talk about the integrity of the constitution and Saba Saba and what it meant to people. Um, I see that we're having more people tuning in live. Thank you, Wilkista. I see also Bina Maseno has tuned in. Thank you guys for tuning in. I want to bring the conversation just back slightly to Saba Saba. It's meaning about preserving the integrity of the constitution, especially when the, when the human rights started being abused by the leadership and by certain machineries or organs within the leadership, so to speak, from way back when to now where we are, where I do not know whether we have a credibility in terms of uh, holding our leaders accountable towards implementing the constitution and then um, looking at the democracy. So you've challenged the democracy quite a bit. Then we'll go to what alternative options do we have? You know, do people know that we can actually recall our MPs? Do they know that we can recall our leaders if they fail to, to be able to deliver within what, what they are required to do? Yes. Uh, so uh, my thinking. Yes. Uh, we are we are quite an interesting country, and mm -hmm. let me tell you, we are, we we have quite a, a very interesting generation also. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a huge gap between the generation that fought for Saba Saba and the actual generation that is living or rather benefiting from the fruits right now. Yes. The generation that fought for Saba Saba did not have smartphones. Mm -hmm. Their way was always the highway. They did not have phones. They used uh, mails that took like forever to deliver messages and everything, right? Right. So these people, their way was the streets. Their way was to get hard no matter what. Their mm -hmm. way was coming from a point of we've tested the pain that our forefathers tested. Okay. Or yes. rather the, the pain that our forefathers lived. Yes. And we don't want to go back there. Mm -hmm. Then we have the us generation who mm -hmm. did not test the pain of our forefathers. Right. Who have not been told the correct history of this country. Right. Because the, the, the history we read in school is mm -hmm. basically glorifying most of the oppressors. Mm -hmm. So we must acknowledge that we have never sat down and told our history the way it should be told. I agree so with you 100%. There's a huge gap between these generations. And our generation, I call it the meme master generation, mm -hmm. where anything you say can be turned into a meme ASAP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it will go viral and we laugh about it. And after laughing mm -hmm. about it, we move on. Mm -hmm. So you're telling this generation that has never even been paid 10,000 bob in their mm -hmm. first job that still needs to struggle in terms of... Right. Uh, like you're telling a generation that if they're looking for a job right now, they're being told you need 10 years experience yet you're a fresh graduate. Right, you're telling right. them to understand how much 2 billion means to them. Yes. This generation does not know a story of good services. Mm -hmm. This generation does not know a story of, um, does not know a story of a better Kenya than the one they're living right now. Yes. So they do not know where Kenya came from and they do not know where Kenya is going. They are living, yeah. they're just flowing by the day. So what right. does this tell you? We have mm -hmm. a generation that is very much disconnected, that the mm -hmm. only thing they know is that the oppression is the norm. This is how we were born and this is how we live. Because mm -hmm. remember our parents, every time we wanted to be vocal, they used to tell us, you do not answer back. Right. What were you supposed to do? Suppress your emotions. Mm -hmm. Every time you wanted to say, no, I cannot do this, you were told, no, yes. I have said it is what it yes. is, you need to move. So mm. how do you expect that now this generation is able to speak via their keyboards, where nobody knows who's behind the keyboard, yes. how do you expect they'll be responsible with what they put out there? Mm -hmm. so and I hear what you how to do that. They were not taught how to do that. But then what is the opportunity that lies um, mm -hmm. within the situation that we find ourselves in? Because I, I tend to think that in my own little way, this is the little, the, 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 the smallest effort I can make. And surely mm -hmm. if I'm inspired more, I could do more. Mm 
And yeah. by doing more means that we start changing the narrative. I like what Chimamanda Adichie does in her in her speaking engagements when she talks about, you know, one of the most prolific things I've heard from her is that the story of um, the danger of a single story and who tells the story and how that then frames the thinking of a whole entire society. Of yeah. course, when we are put through the education system, we are given these narratives of what happened and how industrialization came about and this and that. But let me tell you, that is still a single story. How yep. about we hear from the different perspectives? And there comes in our need to sit back with the older generation and start documenting some of the tales they tell us. Of course, it won't be accurate, but it will be at least a beginning, right? Yep. And I start telling a different story. Yes, yes, Shiko. I agree with you because uh, one of the things that we are very big at at Tribless Youth is storytelling. Well, we go look back at those elderly people. And I tell people, once your grandma is gone, you'll never get another grandma to narrate her story the way she would have done it. Right. Even if her daughters or her sons will tell you, it will not be as accurate as she would have put it. Yes. So for me, it's about documenting these stories, no mm -hmm. matter how inaccurate they are. Get them from right. uh, the diverse languages they'll speak. Get them right. into Kuyu, Luo, Luya, you know, Kisi, right. Meru, all these, get all these stories. Mm -hmm. Then let mm -hmm. us figure out how to translate uh, all these in a language that every common person will understand. Yes. That way then we will find where, we will start finding our bearing back to life. Yes. Um, I keep asking this question. There's always uh, a narrative that Maumau's were Kikuyu's. Mm -hmm. There's always a bigger question. Who told us that only Kikuyu's fought for freedom? Right. Because it's a lie. But that is what our books feed us. That is what our right. books are for kids. That is why even to date, if you're told Kikuyu's are not as many as Luyas or any other tribe, it will be an issue. Right. Because it is just that the way you've said it, the mm -hmm. person who tells the story and how it's told shapes how an entire community thinks. Right, right. I agree with you. And so that brings us to, you know, I like the fact that you're saying tribeless youth tell story and maybe it's stories. And maybe this is like that opportunity now at this discussion for you to tell us exactly tribeless youth and what exactly you do there on a daily basis. Um, because it, it is, it, it's very good for people to know what uh, convenings, what community-based organizations are there, what NGOs are there even outside Nairobi, that are actually working towards changing the narrative, changing the narrative that we've been fed by local and also foreign impunity advocates, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> I mm -hmm. know, right? Um, so at Tribless Youth, we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of advocacy work, uh, but we are trying to change the narrative. We are trying to move from how things were done um, 50, 20, 10 years ago we are mm -hmm. trying to create a community that speaks about these issues through different channels. So mm -hmm. we work very much with creatives and that is the better part of being um, a tribeless youth because we necessarily don't even have titles. It's always yes. a space where creatives can come, open up, uh, shape content, shape programs themselves in the best way they understand how to communicate to their audience. And most people ask me why art, and and my answer is always we've been taught by uh, our mainstream civil society that if I come to your forum, Diana, you better have reimbursement for me. I need mm. my fare back home. Mm. And the bigger question that I keep asking is, uh, mm. why do I need to pay you to teach you or to give you knowledge? Right. You know. So right. what we do is we say if I'm going for a poetry or or, or music um, gig. I never mm -hmm. ask anyone to reimburse my fare. I'll, I'll pay for the, for the gig. I'll use my transport. I'll go mm -hmm. buy food and drinks. But I'll mm -hmm. never ask anyone to reimburse all that, right? Mm -hmm. So this is it. We are giving people a gig for free. Yes. yes. But then you're coming to learn as well. So in between the gigs, you can always have those panel discussions. In between the yes. gigs, you can always have a teacher thorn. In between mm -hmm. the gigs, you can always have different competitions. But our main mm -hmm. aim is to have an educative session through these pieces of art that young people really relate to. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that is how I can summarize what we do. So we are youth-led uh, and youth-serving organization. Right. So we are just like looking at expanding the space of creativity in terms of dealing with our problems. Right, right. And I'm, I'm, I've seen the work that uh, Tribeless Youth have done over the years, and it's really inspiring to see that you use you use the, the offline and as well as the online tools to tell stories. And I think for me, the my favorite series that uh, you and your team have done were the YouTube videos, the puppet, was it the puppet show? The yeah, puppet the puppet show. Yeah. And just speaking about police brutality, but in a comical yet very mm. informative manner. What inspired yeah. that? that series and i think i'll link it in 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 this podcast so that people can get to watch it but i think it's how you just in a very sophisticated yet very simple manner communicate what happens in reality uh when when you're dealing with law enforcement in kenya so uh the police brutality uh link uh video actually came out when covid started if -hmm. you remember diana what happened is we were told stay at home don't go to work there's a cafe so wear your masks. And then from nowhere, the cops started harassing people. Extremely so, and killing young people exactly. as well. So for us, we felt like we have militarized the disease. Instead mm. of looking at it from a form of this is a disease and we all need to be on the same table to sort of mm-hmm. figure this out, we militarized mm. it. Where so many young people died. And mm-hmm. to date, we've never seen anyone accountable for that. So yes. many young people had to pay bribes because you've been arrested for a reason you don't know. Right. And, and one thing I think even you see in the video is that the cops mm-hmm. arrest you, but they don't have masks on. Right. So they arrest you and put you in a lorry full of people, yet you've been told to social distance. Right. So for us, it was like, how do we put out this? Because this for me was like an interesting space. I was like, how do we put out this? for people to actually get the message, but also right. reflect on who we are uh, mm-hmm. as a people. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that came to mind was that we have puppeteers, we have animators, and we have cartoonists. How do we mm-hmm. work with all of them to make sure this content looks um, coordinated, but at the same time is right. content that all of us can own? So mm-hmm. for us, we always have stages of our production. And we mm-hmm. start from the staff meeting and then a brainstorm meeting with the creatives. From the brainstorm mm-hmm. meeting, there's the scripting, the scripting that is done by almost everyone, just people putting out their input on what they think. And mm-hmm. then we have um, another brainstorm to share the scripting and then another mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. You know, this is run by young people. That wow. is the most amazing thing. The fact that all this is like young minds who are able to put out these pieces and, and be able to like actually be very coordinated to the end. So right. for me, it's one thing that I say, it actually challenges this narrative that people keep saying that the youth are ignorant, that the youth are lazy. Mm-hmm. I see this youth put in work to make sure this happens. Right. Them streaming a whole script that should have been 30 minutes, one hour, to three minutes, two minutes, one minute is a lot of work. Yes. So just seeing that, and I, I, that's where I see the much hope we have with our young people. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I am happy that you say that the whole team that does the program from inception to from inception to completion, you know, production, scripting, all this, and then uh, finally editing it and compressing it to a three-minute video. You know, I did a bit, I did a bit of production, and I know how much work that takes. And that just tells us how the potential of the young people within the economy to even explore other um, creative ways of earning an income which is an industry that is not well supported, but that's not what we're going to talk about here. Uh, I know we've spoken a a lot about the democracy in the Kenyan context, the leadership that we have. So what are the alternatives, Shiko? What are the alternatives now? Let's get to the the final bit of this discussion. (laughs) That is to propose an alternative. That is the most interesting bit, uh, Diana. Yes. Knowing that we have a young people who are the majority, Yes. You can have a voice mm-hmm. and create their own system of leadership. Yes. What I see right now is what we had before 2002. The young mm. people, the Orengos, you know, and the likes who by then were really young, that were really fighting for something, you know. Yes. Now we have this generation of young people. Then I imagine sitting down and imagining 
we have a generation of almost 6000 oh no 6 million sorry new voters right. Mm-hmm. Like these are new voters. They've never voted. They've not done anything. Wow. Yet we've had this other generation of our youth mm-hmm. that probably are first-time voters or uh, second-time voters, a maximum, yes. right? Yes. This is a whole block. Yes. Yet this is the most oppressed. So I see this as a risk and as a, an opportunity at the same time. Mm-hmm. These people, if well tapped into, they can change the narrative of leadership in this country. Right. If well tapped into, we can start seeing accountability from all levels. Mm-hmm. If well tapped into, then we can define what leadership means. If right. well tapped into, we can defend the constitution too. Right, right. And so what are those the, the small steps that a young person should take? Because one of the things I've had, um, I've had from other international organizations and also just the young people themselves, because I, I, I emerged from student leadership and I was being told about this right to do this. And once you hold your ID, you're going to be able to do this. You're going to be able to get even the help loan from the government and so on and so forth. But nobody really told us the script of how to actually get there and how there is strength in numbers. Unless you are the Orangos that you just mentioned, who did political science degrees at the University of Nairobi. Not every young person will do a political science degree in the University of Nairobi. Certainly not everyone will go to that university. So how, in our own little ways, are we going to ensure that the 6 million of us who are young entering the, the voting um, the voting edge in the last five years, the voting block, the voting group in the last five years, how will those 6 million of us young people be able to know that we can actually mobilize organize and then go out there and then start making change so one thing i say most is that um elections in kenya has always been a scam it has always been like um a silly people's festival where idiots come together we wake up at 3 a.m we go vote it's like that day we don't work and we don't do anything else it's just voting right and then for the next three days we also don't open our shops or anything because we are waiting for the results so that we determine if we are going into war or not. Yes. yes. You know, so we just exercise our stupidity openly every five wow. years. <laughs> I mean, that's harsh, but go on. <laughs> and then come back to complain for the next five years, mm-hmm. then do the same process again, you know. And 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 the worst bit is that mm-hmm. we do all these, but we don't learn. Right now, if you go mm-hmm. on social media, we are split between the same thugs that we've been complaining about for the last wow. five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do not want to look beyond that cocoon because, oh, those people don't have money. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and this narrative is always weird. We've seen that wow. with the Kenyatans, you know. Right. Oh. <laughs> and we do not want to think beyond that box. We do not want to be told that actually we can get someone else who can be at this place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the hope is that how far we've been oppressed, the people suffering are the youth. We are the people who earn 20,000 shillings, but now the gas is at 2,500 for the 13 kg. Wow. Uh, your tokens are going high. Your mm-hmm. safari from airtime is going high by 20%. Mm-hmm. The emissary, Tala loans, and all these things that you survive on are going high mm-hmm. by another 20%. Right. So what does this mean to you? It means that you're doomed. You're living in a country that does not like you or love you, in a leadership wow. that does not care about you. So wow. this is the time where, Diana, we start picking our pieces and saying, we need to mm-hmm. teach our people how to vote and why they vote. Mm-hmm. Because if I asked a younger Diana, why do you, why did you first vote? Mm-hmm. We had no reason. I didn't know why I voted. I voted because my parents told me if I don't vote, I won't come back in that house. That is the reason why I voted. But yes. did I know that this defined if I'm going to access help? The, did, did I know if this defined if I'm going to be able to access the higher education, jobs, and other services, no. Now I'm here, I actually understand that that one decision is what is causing me all this pain. 
So if we start relating that single vote, that single day to our struggles right. for the next five years, then yeah. we are able to start changing the narrative. We are able right. to start seeing, because we must learn to meet these people at their points of struggles. Right. We must learn to relate their problems to that mm -hmm. one single day when they wake up very early to go that make that mistake. Right. Yeah. I, I like how you're saying it because I've seen uh, other civil society organizations when implementing this uh, civic engagement and civic education exercises, telling especially the youthful population um, to maybe consider that bribe they were given by a leader or a prospective leader, a mm. candidate, so to speak, uh, to maybe cost it over the period of five years and see whether that decision was truly worth it. That 500 shillings that you were given while, while you're in the queue, that mm -hmm. collective, let's say at most you are receiving 500 today, 1,000 tomorrow, another mm -hmm. 5,000, you know, another 2,000, whatever. You put that together and let's, let's just say you got 5,000 shillings. You were mm -hmm. very lucky, you were very active, you got 5,000 shillings. Now, divide that by the five years that this person is going to be in power. So you have a thousand shillings a year. Now divide that by 12 months. Then divide that by seven days a week, you know, by four weeks and then days. How much is that to you? Was that decision? And also divide that by the 24 hours you live every day. Right, right. It, it, turns down, it, it comes down to it not being worth it. It comes down to you making a decision, not because you have a selfish, very myopic um benefit to gain but rather you make a decision that will help progress the community give you mm -hmm. access to public services good roads access to water and sanitation access mm -hmm. to good schools you know the education system the healthcare system look at what covid did to you know was it the Meru governor who who got covid and he actually penned down a whole emotional rant about this and that and he's panic of what would have happened if he actually succumbed to the disease. We're glad he didn't succumb to the disease. But just to tell you that it didn't really take COVID for you to realize that healthcare and other public services should be prioritized. Mm -hmm. Did it take COVID for the president to now, I, I saw that trending hashtag this morning was Uhuru overworking. And I see that he's, he's busy visiting hospitals and launching this and that. He was launching hospitals at night. Can we, and I was like, can we just be honest? Is he overworking? Was he even working before? Can you just admit that you're going there at night because no one will ambush you, no one will bash you off? Just so right. the same, you know, the fear of your community, the people you called your stronghold, booing you yeah. off during the day, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, it's quite interesting where uh, the civil society says, it speaks yeah. for the people. Mm -hmm. The civil society says it works with the people. I belong mm -hmm. to that circle. But with yeah. all due respect, we have no influence with the people we say we serve. Right. Maybe it's time we reflect on how we implement our programs. Maybe mm -hmm. it's time we stop doing boardroom decisions on what are the problems that are affecting people and sit right. down with them, let them identify their own problems and mm -hmm. identify their own solutions. Mm -hmm. Our work should be to facilitate the process. Right. Because right. the moment we decide this is the problem, and the moment mm -hmm. we decide we are the people who owe these people the solutions, then why mm -hmm. do we have the government? What is the mm -hmm. role of the government? These mm -hmm. people do not pay their taxes to the civil society. Right. We should teach them right. to ask for services from where they pay their taxes to. Mm -hmm. So maybe the, the chunk of work we should be doing is capacity building them to be mm -hmm. able to identify their own problems and keep the people right. they elect accountable. Because if an MCA comes to you and tells you they'll build you a hospital, that, mm -hmm. is, that one is an X, that's a red flag. Right. You do not. How? How will they do it? From which money? Exactly. They do not understand their JD. That's what some of us in the private sector would exactly. actually tell you. They so don't understand, they don't understand why they're even elected. Right. They don't understand why they're going into that specific seat. So maybe mm -hmm. it's time we start teaching our people that, you know what, in the language you understand most. If Diana, if I speak to you in Luya, that is what we'll understand. Can exactly. we go and speak to Diana in Luya? In in Luya. 
this right. is what it is. And, right. and one amazing thing that I, I learned with my, my grandma is that uh, my grandma mm. is in her late 90s. So we're just mm. having a conversation. Mm. And my grandma says that she's tired because she was promised money after her mm-hmm. husband died uh, during the Mamao, but they've wow. never been compensated. Mm. And I asked her, so who, who promised you this money? And yes. he said the MCA told them they will be able to access this money. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, the MCA works with the county government. This was a national mm. government. Government plan. issue, yes. So where do the two come in? You know, but then I realized our people don't know. And right. unfortunately, they buy into just anything. They are the mm-hmm. same people who are busy telling us uh, an MCA, MP, Senator, Governor, these people don't need degrees to get into power. But right. you as a young woman, Diana, you need even a yes. master's to get a job paying you 30,000 shillings. Right. So why, why do we need someone handling my taxes in billions, not yes. able to even understand how to manage these monies? Yeah. Like, I think we should even have a school where by six months after they are elected, they go to a mandatory school where they are taught, this is what you do. I, I, apparently, I, I think after being elected, uh, legislators are required to be taken through some form of... The Kenya school, yeah, from the Kenya I School mean, of Governance something. Right, right. But how effective is it? Then we should even disband that thing. It's uh-huh. just consuming our taxes. At least we've just seen one person who's come out of there and we've said, yeah, finally this one is doing. So we, we, yeah. we just end up in the same circle and it's really unfortunate. But I just sort of also believe that there's a light coming. And not to be uh, rude, not to be harsh, right. but all these people oppressing us might not be there 10, 15 years from now. I agree with you. Actually, I do agree with you 100% when I know that, um, you know, the natural forces of justice, not justice, not the nature, mother nature, the laws of justice will come to play. And I think um, we just let to, we, we let the jungle, the, 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 yeah. we let so the jungle. The much they, 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 they feel like they own this place. Yes. The, the most amazing thing to realize that nobody lives forever. Right. If it is taking them COVID to be scared enough to know that we do not have health yes. systems. Why right. didn't they care when common people were dying every day? Yes. No, it was their scare because they could not fly out to seek treatment via your taxes. So you're yes. there funding a whole plane, um, like a, a plane, a first class, hospitals uh, on their private uh, rooms yes. abroad. Well, you cannot even access Panadols at your local dispensary. Right. So th- that is one thing we need to think about. And it's one thing I keep telling people. If your MP, your MCA, uh, your governor is driving big cars, living large, and you cannot mm-hmm. afford your rent, he's the one eating your rent, keeping him, keep him or her accountable. Precisely, precisely. I think one of the biggest takeaways is like what I've just uh, sort of paraphrased from what you said earlier, and you've repeated it now, is that the potential to change to cha- to have change in Kenya is within the vast youthful population, and therefore, then, as civil society, in as much as our duty and our role is just to be the citizen watchdog, to mm-hmm. tell the people to read the constitution and understand what yeah. powers they have within this constitution then to hold their leaders to account. Um, it's also to just be patient and wait for, for change to happen as well. Uh, I think change in a society doesn't take place in a day, a day or two, a year. No. It takes many, many years. But the good thing is that we can start agitating within our small networks, within our small spaces, and also using the youthful population as the tool to drive change. Um, thank you, Shiko. We've talked about so much. I'm hoping people will learn something from this conversation we've had. I hope so too. It's been by far, I think, one of my easiest podcasts. I didn't even over prepare for it because last year I did a, a, you know, I did a piece about Saba Saba much for our lives. But then this year we saw, you know, it it wasn't so much highlighted in detail. Um, 
we sort of were waiting for everybody to do something. And maybe that's the potential that next year, how about we as youth serving organizations come together and do something substantive that will ensure that we are maintaining the integrity of the constitution. And also just remembering what happened on, on um, July the 7th in 1990. I wish to give you some minutes to talk about any closing remarks that you think I haven't asked you, I haven't brought it up. Is there something critical in line with our topic of today's discussion? I think we've almost exhausted everything, but uh, yes. I would want to say in regards to your last point on us waiting for people to do, mm -hmm. I think we will only liberate this country when all of us feel the pinch, when we stop yes. waiting. Because mm. the biggest struggle has been people go to the streets, but there are only a certain group of people. That shows us that the other population is not even feeling pinched by this. Right. Today, a group of young men and women went to the streets in Nairobi. Uh, they were tear gassed, arrested. Um, I'm hoping nobody was injured. But this is a show that we've never, ever achieved a democracy. We right. have not achieved a leadership that can listen to us. It is up to us to figure out and to know. And this is something I keep repeating and I will repeat till the last days of this life. That mm -hmm. if you're sleeping hungry, you must hold the people you elected accountable. If yeah. you do not have rent to pay your rent and you're in the verge of being evicted, hold right. the people you elected accountable. If mm -hmm. you do not have a job and you do not seem to find one, the constitution allows you to hold those people accountable. Right. If you do not afford um, uh, health services, mm -hmm. now that I see they are, they are coming for us with NHIF and wanting to tell us that every member of your household should pay a certain amount by the end of the year, can they yes. equate that to better services? Can they equate that to us accessing free medicines in hospitals, free treatments right. at the same time? It mm -hmm. cannot be one-sided. If you're mm -hmm. paying tax, whether you're filing nil returns, you mm -hmm. always pay 16% of your tax. And now you'll be paying 20% uh, on yeah. everything else. So Can you imagine if, that? Yeah. if today you're spending your money on anything, you're already a taxpayer. Yeah, you need to hold someone accountable because you're giving out your money for free and then you're left struggling. It does not make sense. Absolutely, absolutely. So I want to say thank you so much. Um, you have been an amazing guest. It's been an easy discussion. You've given us a lot of uh, knowledge, information that we can actually follow through, um, see what we can do in our own ways. I wish you all the best in your studies. I am immensely so proud of you as always. Thank you. And I'm having you more again. And to be honest, we are going to have to mobilize and do something incredible, especially knowing that next year is going to be an elections year. Let's ha let's help the young people make informed decisions. That would okay. only be something we can do. So okay. thank you so much and have a thank good night. You. Thank you thank to everybody. Thank you for having me and have a good night. Bye. Thank you as well. And thank you to Wilkista, Bina, Winnie for not only tuning in, but also leaving a comment while we continue to the broadcast. Asante, good night. Good night, Diana. Thank you. Good night.